Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Thanks, Vivian. Now, Claire Walsh, welcome. Thank you very much. And you're here to tell us how holding your breath has taught you to live. Mm. Uh, You are a free diver and you've written a book about how, I suppose, how diving helped you cope with life on on dry land, really. Just remind people again, we've talked about this before. What is free diving? So free diving, it's the sport of holding your breath underwater. So the most common question I get asked about free diving is... How long yeah, can how you long? hold? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the answer to that is five minutes and 59 seconds. So you can see that one second makes a difference. I haven't made it to six just yet. Have you tried? Oh, I've tried. <laughs> I've tried, but not such so successful results. I'll and how deep do you dive in that? And sticking with the theme of 59, I dive to 59 metres below yeah. the surface of the that water. That, those sex, sixes, sixes. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so talk me through the process then. I'm assuming you don't just take a big gulp of air and go. No. You sing before you dive to, to get yourself in the zone, I yeah? sing before I dive. I I represented Ireland in the World Championships in 29, which, you know, is kind of the centre point of the book. And in my first dive of the World Championships... I blacked out. Now, it's not a spoiler. I have spoken about this before. I blacked out and I felt my preparation before that. I felt like, you know, the team in Cool Runnings, the the bobsled team. I felt like I was there trying to emulate other athletes that I didn't really belong there. So my next dive, obviously, I wanted a better result. So I had to come back to what makes me feel like me. Kind of singing is my my screensaver mode almost as my family will uh, attest to. You know, I sing all the okay. time. So when I was preparing, I started singing. So not only does it make me feel good, it usually makes me smile, but also if I'm singing, I'm breathing. I'm connecting with my breathing. I'm being a little bit more in the moment. So I found that as a really terrific way of just coming back to myself. And then there's obviously the science bit. Humming um, stimulates the vagus nerve. It balances the nervous system. So there is a whole scientific element to it as well. But singing just grounds me. I sing through my snorkel. I sing when I'm putting on my wetsuit. And it's just a way of, I think, anchoring me to something positive and stopping any distracting thoughts coming in. Yeah, well, we should all be singing all we the time. We should all be yeah. singing. So, and then talk me through the dive then. Um, so what a dive looks like. What it looks like, feels like, yeah. the, the, the process. So the, the first, I think, line in the book is underwater, you don't hear anything. Yeah. So what I'm referring to there is the incessant chatter in my head any judgments might have you know that to-do list of uh, what I need to do later on that kind of dialogue that I think a lot of people have um, going on inside their head and I know I certainly do so for me the first thing I notice about a dive is that minute that I leave the surface and I, I describe it and Usually when I describe a dive, I'm picturing the blue hole in Egypt. So I take the snorkel out of my, br- my mouth, having taken my big breath, and suddenly there is like, like almost like a blanket of sound in my ears. You don't hear anything. You're pulling yourself down. And for me, I connect to a rhythm. 
a rhythm of pull, glide, pull, glide. And you're pulling by a rope. You're pu- so this, in yeah. this discipline, you're pu- so which is called free immersion, you're pulling down by a rope. So you're trying to overcome uh, buoyancy. You're trying to find that sweet spot that starts to allow you to free fall. So enter into what's called negative buoyancy, which is a term that pops up quite a lot in the book. And free fall, for me, I think it's the closest thing that I'll get to experience in flying. And I describe it as kind of Peter Pan sort of flying, second star to the right sort of flying. It is magical. If you talk to any free diver and you say, how did your dive go? They will say, oh, the free fall. And then they'll get this dreamy look come over their face. It is nothing short of magical. So once free fall is over, you've hit your target depth, hopefully. You'll take a tag and you bring that tag back up. So I usually tuck it into the hood of my wetsuit. So turning, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to race towards the surface. Okay, like, I'm going to get back up now. Like that's the thing. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I need to take a breath. Oh, I, I, no, Brendan, no, you have to savour it. Okay. You have to so you're it. actually still calm at this stage. You're not going. Still I need to take a breath. I, need to I am take a breath. loving every second of it. And the first chapter or the prologue, I describe a dive in full, the feel of the cold water over the parts of your body that aren't covered by your wetsuit, so your hands, your feet, parts of your face. So when you do turn, you know, it's a little bit more of a concentrated effort, but you're not going to race. So you want to take it back, take it all in, but be focused. And I think that is, I suppose, the crux of a dive, finding that balance. So coming up, what I do is I want to make sure there is no space for negativity in my head. I don't want any little intruding thoughts creeping in and saying, oh God, there's a long way to go. Have you enough breath left? Have you enough? I, you know, they're not helpful. Mm-hmm. So instead, I usually just say little, little really silly or cheesy mantras like, I got this. I got this. You can do it. I'm thinking of what I'm going to do when I get to the surface. And what I'll do is I will breathe. I will remove my mask and I will signal and say, I'm okay. So usually you're coming up just repeating, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And that is the way back up. And it is, again, magical. That was amazing. You brought me right down there. That was incredible. I feel like I've done it. All right. Um, d- before we get on things, you mentioned very casually there, oh, I blacked out. Mm. So where, do, wh- what point were you at where you blacked out? The blackout. Um, so the blackout, as I said, it's a, it's, it's a centre chapter in the book. And it's a really funny one. When I was writing the book, I wrote from the start in and I wrote from the end in. And I finished on this chapter. And I've spoken about this quite a lot. I have done talks where I've talked through the video. So I thought I was somewhat desensitised to it at that point. But writing um, writing that chapter was a real reflection on what had happened. So what did happen was I, I prepared in my normal way, but it was the first dive of the World Championships. My family were there and my friends were there. It was the first time they were seeing me dive. So the weather conditions weren't great. And I think it's, it, it shows the power of thought. 
I don't remember feeling particularly nervous, but you know, the start of that chapter, it is all my racing thoughts. Things like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this. I can't believe, you know, all this comes down to two minutes underwater. You know, what was I thinking? All those thoughts that just came racing in to essentially sabotage the dive. So it really shows the power of thoughts and the effect it can have on the body. So I've spoken, you know, about efficiency, efficiency of movement, but you need to also have efficiency of thought. So try going underwater and having those thoughts racing through your head. What they're essentially doing is chewing up your oxygen. So they are running through your oxygen supplies quicker than any movement you're going to do. So I remember going down. I remember that part. I remember taking the tag. I did my turn and I started on the way up. I remember seeing my safety divers come and meet me. So they must have met me at about 20 metres. And I started heading up. I remember looking to the surface. I saw the platform. I thought about orientating myself to come up in front of the judges. I started thinking about mask, breathe, signal. I'm okay, I'm okay. And then I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything. What happened was I continued uh, my swim back up. I held on to the rope. I faced the judges. And instead of breathing and taking out my and giving my signal and saying I'm okay I reached for my tag so anyone watching anyone who's free who mm. free dives knew mm, something isn't right and actually my mum and dad and uh, my sister and brother-in-law friends were watching with a couple of free divers so I am so so grateful to this day that my my free diving friends were able to explain what what happened next so what did happen was I fell forward into the water my first memory is when I was being taken out of the water by the French, the French uh, safety divers. The first thing that came to my head was, uh, well, I was so confused, absolutely so confused what had happened. You know, my last memory is being underwater. I was terrified of how it might have looked and so terrified of what my parents might have seen because I've seen blackouts and they can look really, really scary. Mm -hmm. So I was really thinking about mum and dad and my family in that moment and how hard it might have been for them. So <laughs> I knew there were cameras somewhere. I was reaching and trying to wave to a camera, but, you know, that looked very different. It looked like I was struggling with uh, yeah. the divers. But, you know, I was uninjured except for my ego, which was just absolutely yeah. destroyed at that point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'd be worried. I think a lot of people would think that you might panic down there in stage or get anxious or anything, but clearly... Yeah, I think if you get down there, you're probably not panicked. Okay. You need to have that yeah. sense of softness. And, you know, you know, a lot of the book does focus or does centre around freediving, but it isn't really a freediving book. No. So, you came to it late, the mm. freediving. Uh, you were 32. That's right. At a point, I think, where you were kind of fairly frustrated with your life and your situation, yeah? yeah? And, and frustrated is probably quite a kind word. I think I had bottomed out or was coming close to bottoming out at that point. I was single and had been for a couple of years. 
Um, I know you've just been talking about the housing crisis, but I was back living with mum and dad. My work had me geographically all over the place, picking up bits of work here and there to keep me going. And emotionally, probably similar. I was just as scattered. My friends, in, in comparison, were... Uh, buying their first house, meeting their partners, getting engaged, having children and so on. And I felt like I couldn't just tick one of those boxes. And I think when you set yourself up, and this is like, I suppose, a through line throughout throughout the book, is when you list things out like that and set them out as your goal, when you don't meet them, you feel like quite a failure in comparison to how your your contemporaries are living. And this book was an effort to switch direction. Okay, I have no control over whether I meet someone or not. And I tried. I, I do describe some some mm-hmm. some uh, mm-hmm. dates and navigating online dating. Um, you know, so so this this book, or you know, was an effort to you know switch direction and think. Okay, I keep chasing all these things, and the more I chase them, the further away I feel. And that gap can be a really, really lonely and quite a desolate place. And like it, for you, it did tip into actual mental health. Yeah, and, and and let's name it. It wasn't mental health. It was mental illness and yeah. chicken, chicken or egg. You know, I think mental illness. What came first? I experienced it to a really heightened state in my late twenties, as I say in the book, the bad, blurry years. Yeah. I don't really remember um, lots of detail around that. So, you know, what label? There were a few labels. There are I mean, a few yeah. labels, and I know people love labels yeah. because they're clear and concise. I do mention depression, bipolar disorder, and borderline personality disorder, but I don't. I don't attach myself to yeah. any of them anymore. I think it is somewhat unhelpful because it can become part of your identity, as it did for me. And if that changes, it can throw things into a state of flux all over again. So for me, and again, that second part of the book, and it is facilitated by freediving, it's about recognising symptoms and having a sense of autonomy to address them, of coming back to yourself Grounding, awareness, acceptance, all these words um, were, I suppose, taught me even more by by the practices and discipline around freediving. Okay. We talked uh, yesterday with Richard Hogan about the need to disrupt your your thinking and, yeah. and your life and your habits and everything mm. in order to get to it. Your disruption was that you headed off yeah. traveling and that was kind of a massive game changer for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I've had those moments quite a few times. Um, I I call them the halt. You know, I, I, I feel like I was a car, that a, a remote control car that was running out of battery kind of comes to a spluttering halt. And I've, I reached that point several times. And one of the points in the book is the end of 2018. Right. And my God, did I need a disruption. I, there had been a series of events. I'd injured my leg. Um, I had worked for Lambert Puppet Theatre that had just closed. So I was without, you know, a big source of income. Um, a, a friend of mine had very sadly passed away. So a lot had happened by November 2018. I remember so vividly sitting in the sitting room of my quirky uh, uh, house share 
um, in the pyjamas that could have passed as tracksuit bottoms with stains from yesterday's tea or dinner. So it was a real moment of, I cannot stay here any longer. So any of the changes that I need to make that normally would scare me, now I'm talking about shake me to my core, they cannot be as bad as this place. And I think people will identify with that point. Their story might be different, but that moment of, I cannot do this anymore. Something needs to change. And when I'm talking about change, it just might be, have a shower. I'm talking about small steps that might make tomorrow and then the next week a little bit different. Um, And progress is, you know, also a theme through that, you know, in that disruption. And I think it's, I I look at progress as something that isn't linear. Mm -hmm. So if you're in that moment, like I was at the end of 2018, and you make that decision to make a change, you think or hope or, you know, films would have us believe it continues in a montage of, of, of achievements building on top of one another. But real life doesn't happen like that chances are you'll get knocked down again. But hopefully at that point, you'll have built some sort of momentum. You'll have some tools in your kit bag to pull out and move you forward. Okay. And it was on the travel that I'm fascinated by the mermen in the Galapagos. <laughs> that was kind of that was kind of when you first saw yeah. what we roughly call free diving. That's yeah? right. And I hadn't a clue what I was seeing. Like yeah. I hadn't a clue. And for anyone else who's been fortunate enough to go to the Galapagos, you know, the marine life there is stunning. It is breathtaking. There are sharks, there are pilot whales, there are turtles and penguins and so many incredible things to see underwater. But what I focused on on that dive was a person. He, the the gentleman that was swimming with me, he was from the Galapagos. And we were both face down in the water looking at things below us. And there's like, the you can see the light, you know, 20 metres below you, all these different coloured fish. It's incredible. So he decided to go and explore. So he held his breath, bend it from the waist and off he went. And I, I think I forgot that he wasn't breathing. He looked so at ease, but mostly what still sticks out in my memory, whatever, eight years later, is how free he was. He looked totally at peace in his own body, in his environment. And I think for a lot of people, that's something to be not envious of, but it's it's something, a goal to work towards, to be comfortable in your own body, feeling at peace in your environment. Is that what you found down there, yeah? 100%. Yeah. Um, so that was the first time I saw freediving, but I didn't know what it was. It wasn't until... I think a couple of months later that I found out it was an actual sport and I went to try it and then just couldn't give it up. It is, it's peaceful, but again, it just, it reminds me of a resilience I have. You know, holding your breath for that amount of time isn't easy. And I thought, because I've experienced mental illness, you know, that I was perhaps weak or negative. And these are words that 
I think, get attached to people with depression, rightly or wrongly, or, you know, there are perceptions of it. Um, and I know for me, that's what I thought about myself. That's what I feared. That's what I was so afraid, terrified, that that's what people thought of me. I was weak and I was negative, that I couldn't just snap out of it, despite my very privileged, lovely-looking life. I felt this way. And then suddenly, when I found freediving, I felt strong. So you found your thing. I found my thing. I found my thing. Everybody I mean, needs to find their thing. Everyone needs they? to yeah. find my thing and like that, their thing. And like that, you know, for me, it was freediving. But yeah. I know so many people, it's running or ultra running or it is gardening or it is and so on. Like everyone has something that makes them feel at home, at peace in their environment. And you met your husband. Then and I met my husband. And the really exciting thing is he's listening in from Nepal at the minute. Um, he's like, I seek to go below sea level. He's yeah. currently uh, 3,500 metres above uh, sea level in Nepal. So I did. I met Boody in the Blue Hole in Egypt. So after, <laughs> after years of disastrous online dating, um, it happened by chance. Now, he will say that I asked him on the okay. first date, but according to the book, he asked me on the first date after we spent a morning together diving in the blue hole. And our first date was very simply backgammon, coffee and cake and then a sunset snorkel. I do accuse him of being not very romantic, but I do think a snorkel at sunset is not the worst first date. Not at all. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, Listen, the first time we spoke, you were kind of in the in the wars with long COVID at, at yeah. that stage. How is that? I think I'm probably still in the trenches, to be dead honest. I had a lovely respite from it last year and it's kind of flaring up again. And I talk about long COVID in the book and there was a real big decision whether to include it or not. It would be lovely to end the book on a high, having come home from the World Championships, so full of positivity and, and excitement for the future. But reality was very different. You know, the world changed completely in 2020. I got COVID in January 2021. And within a few months, I was experiencing symptoms of this thing that people were talking about, long COVID, without any real evidence or, you know, no one really knew exactly what that was. And going through long COVID was like the worst feeling of deja vu. It's an illness. It's invisible. Not everyone understands it. A lot of people have an opinion on it. And it really messes with your sense of identity. You know, I had, I had gone on on my Instagram talking about freediving and suddenly I was, I was housebound. You know, I... I I put a lot of uh, joy into sharing the stories about freediving and suddenly like I couldn't I couldn't even travel to the shop let alone down to the sea let alone somewhere to go training freediving so it really messed with my sense of identity and started to prod at those old feelings of let's call it depression and that full spectrum of emotions that comes with it. Mm. So as you say yeah progress not linear it's it can be not two steps forward, one step back, but we need to keep forging ahead, don't, don't we? Keep pushing forward, little wins. Listen, uh, 
there's a lot of texts from people. One thing, I think you found another thing you could do. If you set up an app, like talking to people in, in that lovely voice, <laughs> maybe meditations and stuff, talking them through dives or something, I think you'd do a bomb because everyone would say, her voice is incredible, it's so relaxing. <laughs> Thank and everything. you. But listen, you are... Um, you're an extraordinary communicator. The, w- the way you describe things in the book, the way you describe mental health and all those things, like you do actually b- bring us there. Um, uh, the book is called Underwater, How Holding My Breath t- Taught Me to Live. Uh, Johnny Owen Mayo texts to say, Brendan, does she realise half the country are trying to hold their breath for as long as they can? <laughs> How right long are If anyone gets to six minutes, I'm going to be <laughs> raging. <laughs> Claire Walsh, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Email brendan at rte.ie.